Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. I have just accepted Her Majesty the Queen's kind invitation to form a new government. I will deliver a bold plan to cut taxes and grow our economy. Thank you. The British pound has fallen to its lowest level ever. Bank of England will have to step in. I've just had it through uh, from a government source. Uh, the Chancellor has been sacked. Kwasi Kartang is no longer the Chancellor. Just a complete reversal. Another key cabinet minister is out. Suella Bravman resigning as Home Secretary this afternoon. I do want to accept responsibility and say sorry for the mistakes that have been made. As a Tory MP of 17 years, I think it's a shambles and a disgrace. I'm a fighter and not a quitter. Given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This is an emergency episode after what's been an extraordinary day. It's Thursday evening and I'm here in the studio with Tim Shipman, Sunday Times chief political commentator, to try and make sense of it all and to work out what happens next. Tim, you tweeted earlier this week to say that you've been doing this job for 21 years, you've written millions of words about the last six years in which British politics descended into psychodramatic crack dream, and yet today may be the most batshit day of the lot. Has that already been overtaken? I'm not sure. I think that I think I think Wednesday surpassed Thursday for sheer utter lunacy. Um, Thursday was the natural conclusion of Wednesday. If we see it as one giant 24-hour period of. Uh, uh, extraordinary behaviour. Um, uh, yeah, we're on our um, third Prime Minister of the Year quite soon, and it seems I only ever come to speak to you when it's an emergency, but this seems to happen now with increasing Klaxon. regularity. <laughs> I mean, you were there today. Just talk us through, what was it like being in Westminster and watching Liz Truss, now a historic figure, the shortest-serving Prime Minister in British history, well, so out. far, 
so far, you're right, at this rate, anything could happen, but come out and announce her resignation. What was that like? I mean, it's always quite a moment. Um, I actually dashed to, to Downing Street today. I've never bothered to do that before. And sort of, you often can see rather more on the television with these things and judge the, judge the words. But I thought, I'll go and have a look at this. This is a historic day. Um, yeah, and she came out and everybody kind of knew why we were there. But when she said she was resigning, there was an audible gasp. Um, and actually what the public can't see is that opposite the, that famous black door, sort of behind where the press had gathered, there is an entrance with a sort of grill across it where the Foreign Office staff can flood in from uh, the, the building next door and watch. And I think the gasp must have come from there because I don't think anyone in the media was terribly surprised at what she was doing. And let's trust, you know, she came out. It's been a fairly undignified premiership in lots of ways. She came out with a bit of dignity and held it together and there was no blubbing and no whistling to them to herself as she went back through the door and you know in that she managed to uh, you know avoid some of the pitfalls that her predecessors have uh, fallen into on these occasions but it's a pretty astonishing conclusion and you know comparing this to other things I mean you know the previous shortest serving prime minister was George Canning who died in office after 119 days um people are comparing this to um uh, Brian Clough's spell at Leeds United, also 44 days. And Anthony Scaramucci, who is the byword for collapsing political careers, Donald Trump's uh, famous um, press secretary who lasted, you know, 10 and a half, 11 days. He said, Liz Trust lasted four Scaramucci's. And that's where we are. It's uh, a source of kind of... Uh, amusement and humour and gallows wit but at the same time the country's in a mess um the tory party is frankly going through an existential crisis um and doesn't really know uh, whether it's coming or going and uh, even the media i think are pretty worn out by all of this yeah i mean it was astonishing watching her she seemed almost relieved she seemed oddly happy happier than she has been uh, for weeks, I think. Well, I think that's true of a lot of prime ministers when they finally throw in the towel. Um, it's it's a huge, you know, you've got to feel for her as a person. She's wanted this all her life. She came in with a lot of big ideas for about 20 minutes. They looked bold and, you know, dynamic. And everybody said, you know, she knows her own mind. She knows what she wants to do. Uh, good luck to her. And then the market said, oh, hang on a moment. Um, I don't think that's going to work. Um, and, you know, everybody's inclination is to dig in and fight. And ultimately, other prime ministers for whom the game was up have gone, you know, have taken rather longer um, to decide that the better thing for everybody is to step aside. And I think there are certainly people in her party today who were quite relieved. They thought some of them thought um, even uh, the night before that this might drag on for quite some time. And I think, you know, it's not just her that's relieved, but she obviously took that decision with the help of uh, some other people. But it doesn't feel like it was a sort of long, tortuous process like, um, you know, getting Theresa May to leave Downing Street or Boris Johnson to leave Downing Street. And what are you hearing about? What was it in the end that did it and what made her decide to go? Because, you know, it was only 24 hours since she stood up and told the world she was a fighter, not a quitter. What made her quit? I think her mandate had gone completely insofar as she had one. She'd put forward a programme of government and that had been completely overturned. I think, you know, the moment most of us felt she'd completely lost all authority was when Jeremy Hunt stood up and didn't just, you know, rip a few more branches off her mini budget. You know, he basically burnt the whole tree down and chucked it in the garbage. And at that point, you know, she had no sort of policy justification for being there. Then Wednesday's events showed that she had no authority and there was virtually no sort of sentient operating brain at the heart of Downing Street. Everything was chaotic. No one was in charge. Uh, 
you know, they couldn't even deliver a simple vote in the House of Commons. Um, the whole thing just looked like it was collapsing. And people like me look at that and think it's over. But sometimes it takes those politicians a lot longer to come to that conclusion. And, you know, as ever, they make these decisions with their closest states and their families. And, um, you know, whoever was advising it um, uh, made the right call, I think. Um, read more about it in the Sunday Times. <laughs> I mean, was this sort of a Graham Brady, you know, was it the men in grey suits telling her her time was up? Look, I mean, she summoned him to Downing Street and that um, was not the same as him demanding to see her. Um, I think uh, in that conversation, um, it is very likely that Graham Brady signalled that um, she'd lost the support of the Parliamentary Party and that there would probably be in the days and weeks ahead moves to get rid of her. Um, uh, he might well, if she had not summoned him, have demanded to go and see her. But it was, I think the decision was broadly made before Brady got in the building. But that's because, you know, Liz Truss had... Uh, has her own people reading the runes, you know, uh, it looked like she'd lost her chief whip and her deputy chief whip the day before, then they reinstated them at half past one in the morning. Uh, but even then, even they, however badly or uh, were doing the job or were not doing the job, they must have been able to convey to her what the numbers look like and they look pretty bleak for Liz Truss. Because I think that was the thing that really startled people, the, the one thirty text that went out to lots of journalists that made it look like she was still trying to prop up her premiership and then by lunchtime the next day, it's all over. Yeah, I think the decision was made on Thursday morning rather than in the small hours of Thursday morning. Um, uh, again, that, you know, that text shows a degree of inexperience from her team. Um, uh, other people who've been in those kind of jobs in Downing Street have said to me, well, why on earth did they put that out at half past one in the morning? All they needed to do was phone, you know, uh, whoever was doing politics for the BBC Today programme and for a couple of the... Uh, the TV shows, and they could have just said that the chief whip was still in the job. You wouldn't have needed to make it look chaotic, and you know. And the fact that they stuck that out just sort of added to the sense of chaos and confusion, and you know, the fact that they were burning the midnight oil, wondering what to do about it all. And now she's gone. What happens next? What does the process look like over the next week? So. Um, from now, um, those who want to have a crack at the job need to try and round up 100 MPs to support them. They've got till 2pm on Monday um, to put those uh, nominations forward. There will then be some form of hustings involving the candidates and there will then be the first round of MPs voting, uh, which will be held between about half past three and half past five on Monday with the uh, result at six o'clock. So if there are three candidates and there's a need for a second round, that would take place later that day with the result at 9pm. It would then go off to the membership who would have sort of four days to vote online for who they wanted to win. That would close at 11am on Friday next week and the result will be announced later that day. So we will have Prime Minister a week today. We're already starting to hear a little bit about who isn't going to be in the running. Just talk us through that. Who, who are the people who are already definitely not going to be Prime Minister? Uh, well, I mean, lots of people have been taking soundings this afternoon, as the, as members of the Cabinet are wont to do, um, who all like to, to run and uh, try and get a better job and all the rest of it. But I think most people agree that the moment is not uh, for that. And the rules that have been announced by the 1922 committee, which runs this election, are pretty brutal uh, for those that fancied just sort of flying a kite. In order to get on the ballot paper, you need a the support of 100 MPs. Um, and that means that even mathematically, only three can get there. Um, 
And in practice, it may mean that only two get there. And that is an attempt to make sure that this is only serious, credible people rather than Uncle Tom Cobbley and everybody else who ran last time. So people like James Cleverly, the Foreign Secretary, uh, Brandon Lewis, um, who's been uh, offering himself to the nation, the Justice Secretary, I think probably Kemi Badenoch, the Trade Secretary, who did quite well last time. I think Tom Tugendhat, the Security Minister, who did. None of them, I think, is, is going to run. What this in practice means is that there really are only uh, three people who can now uh, get the job. One of those is Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer. The other is Penny Morden, now the leader of the Commons, who finished third in the, the leadership election last time round. And the other is Boris Johnson, who has been uh, suggesting that he might run. I have to say, if you go around the House of Commons at this moment, 90% of all conversations are about whether Boris Johnson is going to run, should run, and what MPs might do about it. Some of them are threatening to join the Labour Party. Some of them are threatening to jump ship in other ways. You know, he's not committed to it. Um, mm. He hasn't said he's running and he, you know, is suggesting that he might. I think he's testing the waters and, you know, if it looks like he'll get 100 MPs, um, I think he'll probably have a crack at it. And if he can do that, then he probably has every chance of winning, given that the membership do ultimately have the final say here. But I think most people think that this is most likely a contest between Sunak and Morden, who were second and third last time round. They both secured over 100 votes last time. And the other significant thing that will happen this time that's never before happened in one of these Tory leadership elections is that, you know, were there three candidates and two go through to the membership round uh, of the contest, they would then have an indicative vote to redistribute the votes of the third place candidate. So this has never happened before. So last time when when the candidates went through to the membership round, mm. Sunak was ahead, but not very decisively so. And it looked like a sort of three-way split between him, Truss and Mordaunt. And the membership felt, well, we can pick Liz Truss then. You know, she's only a few votes behind. Oh. This time, you know, if if it were three candidates, the third place candidates votes would be redistributed and you would see what the sort of real strength of the top two was. And, you know, if one of them had a decisive lead, it would be quite a big deal for the, the membership to overturn that result. Now, it's possible that they might, but it's much less likely. There were a lot of MPs who were sort of calling for this to be like a papal conclave for MPs to decide and for it not to be allowed to go to the membership again, because that hadn't worked out so well last time. Well, I mean, it's possible that it doesn't go to the membership. All that would have to happen is that the person who finishes second would would drop out, as Andrea Leadsom did back in 2019, leaving Theresa May, you know, to win uncontested. Uh, and I think it's distinctly possible that that does happen if the Tory party has a sense of self-preservation about it. Uh, I think people want to see a slightly cleaner contest this time and a view that whoever loses serves in the cabinet of the person who's won and that everybody pulls together. Now, Admittedly, that may be an optimistic uh, view of how the Tory party is likely to behave over the next few days, but there isn't very long to sort of muck about. I've also heard from, you know, government ministers this afternoon who say, well, look, I think the main candidates should announce who their teams are going to be. You know, let's tell us who the top four in each of their cabinets is going to be. Mm. And that would stop some of the sort of, you know, horse trading for votes and people making promises and half promises that don't really exist. Just publish it. Tell us who's going to be in your cabinet. And then we can decide whether we will like the look of that or not. Now, whether that is what people Might end help up with the markets too at this stage. Well, quite. And if you can say, if both candidates who are left in it, for example, were to say that Jeremy Hunt remains as their chancellor, that would probably assist market stability. Um, or if some other credible person was was you know going to be put there. Um, do any of them want to bring back some of the grandees? A lot of people are muttering about, should Theresa May be back in this cabinet? 
you know, would anybody be putting Liz Truss in their cabinet and saying, look, we really are pulling together here. You can do jobs in the House of Lords. William Hague is another name I hear, a proper grown-up who, you know, you could be Foreign Secretary from the House of Lords again, a job he's done before, or he could be, you know, doing another job like Leader of the Lords. Um, I don't know how willing he is to serve, but, you know, if you could put together a roster of names that looks impressive, that that would help anybody to, to, to win, I suspect. It's difficult, though, isn't it? Because that relies on a party that wants unity. And it does feel that sometimes, at the moment in particular, that it's so fractious, it's almost ready to split into different factions anyway. So bringing them together is going to be very hard. That's absolutely right. And the reason why there isn't going to be anybody uncontested to start with is because those factions exist and because despite the efforts behind the scenes over the last couple of weeks, nobody has managed to emerge uncontested. I think the only person who might have got an uncontested win was Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, who's widely respected by everybody, but he wasn't interested in doing it last time. He's not interested in doing it this time. Jeremy Hunt, who's just been made Chancellor, made this you know shock return. He doesn't want the job either. So really, you're down to the people who effectively were next in line before, and, and maybe Boris Johnson. We'll have more from Tim in just a moment, but that's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Tim, just talk us through the front runners. So Rishi Sunak, obviously his name has come up all the way through the last few weeks. He hasn't been around. He's been very keen to keep his head down, but he's being talked about a hell of a lot. It didn't work for him last time. 
What do we think his chances are now? And what do we think he'd represent if he got it? His pitch will be, I'm the serious guy and I was right about the economy. Everything I warned about what Liz Truss might end up doing has been proved correct. That, you know, So that gives him some kind of moral suasion. Uh, I don't think moral suasion is what wins you leadership elections, but it certainly won't hurt him in this case. You know, He will say, I'm the serious candidate. He will stress again that he voted for Brexit and that he's not anything to fear for people in the ERG. And he will... I think, make a pitch to try and sort of say, you know, he's bringing together a, a group of all the talents and and he got the most votes amongst the MPs last time. He got 43% of the vote from the membership, which is more than a lot of people thought he was going to get and mm. more than pretty well every pollster uh, thought he was going to get. And there are people in Sunak's team who will say, look, if the original polls had given you the final result at the beginning, he might well have gone on to win. But because it looked like he was 35 points behind, it was never a contest. I think what he would also do is try and say, look, I've got a serious team around me. I have the ability to bring in experienced people. You know, it would not surprise me at all if he was able to announce that Isaac Levito was returning to run the next general election, someone who was sidelined, you know, ran the election in 2019. I think, you know, would be prepared to um, run an election for Sunak. And that would do a lot to steady the nerves of MPs and party members who were fairly incredulous that he was sort of thrown aside by Truss a few weeks ago. And he could sort of, you know, say, look, the best people in this party will come back and help us. And that's, you know, where he's got... By being the establishment candidate, he, you know, there are some advantages to that, even though that hasn't necessarily stood him in good stead so far in some of these votes where people have sort of seen him as a bit stuffy and a bit out of touch. But he would be able to say, look, I'm surrounding myself with all this talent and, you know, if I have political weaknesses, they can help me counteract that. And what about Penny Morden? She's sort of done the opposite. She's been very visible over the last week. Well, the Prime Minister is not uh, under a desk as the... that she, with, with regret, she is not here for a very good reason. Does she share too close a base in terms of party support with Rishi Sunak to be able to distinguish their, you know, their, their separate voting blocks, I suppose, for this leadership election? What sort of chance do you think she's got? I think she's got a very good chance. Um, there's been quite a lot of money on the betting markets for her today, and I think rightly so. Um, what she did well with last time was in looking like a relatively blank slate who people could put their ambitions and hopes uh, onto. Um, so she was, a, you know, she was a leading Brexiteer, more prominent you know, because she was more senior at the time than Sunak. Um, so she has the ability to attract some of that ERG group, um, I would think. Um, she also attracts quite a lot of women in Parliament, and I think she's um, someone who I think is seen as personable and good, you know, on the TV. And I think a lot of MPs who worry about uh, saving their seats would would rather have um, someone who you know is a good sort of public performer. I think the the question mark about her is, you know, frankly, is she bright enough? Is she got the sort of, um, you know, the bottom to do the job? And I think, again, she has not notably had a, a vast number of experienced people working around her and she would need to move quite fast to show that she could build a good sort of backroom team. But again, if the Tory party is in the mood to try and save itself, then I think people will put their hands up and go and help. 
if it is determined to continue to fight over ideology, whoever wins is, might as well forget about it anyway. You talked about Penny Mordaunt's um, odds in terms of the bookies. The other person whose odds have shortened um, are Boris Johnson. I mean, it's down to three to one according to the yeah, bookies. It was twenty to one this morning, and it's I mean rapidly, rapidly changing. You talked about how that's already the only story people in Westminster are talking about, and MPs are talking about defecting, triggering by-elections. I mean, what would actually happen if he stood? Well, if he got the numbers, I think it would be very interesting indeed. The contest would then become about him. There are people who are concerned that, you know, there's still this parliamentary probe going on into whether he misled Parliament, which could see him suspended from the House. You know, it if the Tory party wants to go down the most farcical route it can, it would elect Boris Johnson and see him suspended from the House of Commons. Um, and another leadership election before the end well, of the year. and then, you know, we could have four prime ministers like we did in 1834. Um, so we're still, you know, racing to catch up with that. We do think that privileges inquiry, that's happening this autumn. So that, that could, it's, if he does get it. It is definitely an unexploded bomb if, mm. if you put Boris Johnson in there. Now, Boris Johnson has ridden out a lot of this stuff. And I think a lot of people think, that that investigation is sort of dancing on the head of a pin and everybody kind of knows what happened really, which is that, you know, um, he said what he said and, you know, he did what he did and that's that's why he went to start with. Um, they might feel that the statute of limitations has expired on that one. If the Tories are serious about winning a general election and if MPs are serious about saving their seats and they're certainly deadly serious about the second one, then a lot of them look at Boris Johnson and, you know, there's a reason why everybody's talking about him. Everybody in Parliament's talking about him. Everybody in the public's talking about him. My WhatsApps are full of people who want to know, is this serious? Is Boris Johnson running? And, you know, the, the short answer is if Boris Johnson thinks he can win, he'll probably run. And if he runs, he'll probably win. You know, he's the best campaigner they've had in 20 years. And whatever his faults, um, he would have to do a heck of a mea culpa straight down the barrel of a television camera to the public. And he would have to show which he didn't entirely when he was last in Downing Street, that he could put a good team around him and that it would not be a bunch of loyalists, it would be the best people he could find. Would, would that be difficult, though? Would it be difficult to put together a cabinet given how many people just, you know, over a month, a couple of two months ago, resigned or very, yeah. made very publicly said they had no confidence in his ability to do the 60 job? 60-odd ministers resigned. Yeah. Um, it would be quite <laughs> difficult for some of those to go back and serve. Um, but, you know, if he, if he were to... To do that. I mean, Boris Johnson's premiership, if you go back to the beginning, after the sort of Brexit bit was done, everybody said, well, Boris Johnson will just be the sort of chairman of the board and he'll have all these other people with executive power who will be rushing around doing all the work. And part of the problem for Boris Johnson was that he didn't really let anybody get on and do that. He wanted to be the chief executive as well as the chairman and he didn't do it terribly well. Um, and you can imagine a scenario in which, you know, a bunch of serious ministers are packed around him. Um, and Boris just sort of does the cheerleading bit and effectively, you know, campaigns for them to win the election um, and doesn't necessarily do a great deal of the policy heavy lifting. And if Boris was humble enough to allow that to happen, I can see that that might be a model where his leadership was viable again. But, you know, there's an element of psychodramatic farce about the whole the whole thing and the public, you know, some of them will look at this as if, you know, everything's gone even madder than it has already. Well, and as the Times reported, uh, at the time, Boris Johnson was said to be saying to, to friends that he was backing Liz Truss in the expectation that she would implode and he'd be back. I mean, 
there will be people who hold him as responsible for what's happened over the last month or so as Liz Truss. Uh, yeah, there's an element of that. And, you know, he's responsible for the whole mess to start with. Um, if he'd um, made a proper apology for Partygate and looked like he'd meant it and, uh, you know, put a few more intelligent people around him, um, I think there's a lot of MPs think we wouldn't be in this mess to start with. But, you know, as they say, we are. I wouldn't start from here, but we are where we are. And uh, he's still a major player. And I think it's fair to say that if he had a view on who else might be leader, if it's not going to be him, that would also be significant. So everybody, as he loves, is again waiting around for Boris. And he's flying home on Saturday and we'll see what he says. You mentioned the threat of defections. I mean, do you think that's serious? Um, I think it's probably a lot of people trying to keep Boris Johnson from running. One thinks of all the celebrities who threaten to leave the country under certain circumstances, most of them remain, and the same is true of uh, Tory MPs threatening to defect. Um, but I don't think he throws his hat into the ring. I think he stealthily tries to find out if he can get 100 supporters, and if he can't, then we'll see a statement rather more like 2016 uh, than 2019. But everyone's watching the plane he's on. Well, he's the centre of the drama, and you know Boris likes a lot of things in life, um, but being the centre of the drama is very much top of that list. And, Tim, in terms of the bigger picture, you know, the last month or so has been a crisis for the Conservative Party, but also a crisis for the country. You know, where does it leave all of us in terms of the economy and stability, really? I mean, how, how, has, how has the economy responded already? Well, I think that I think as far as I'm aware, the markets are not doing anything crazy at the moment. I think there's a general view that this is a good development um, and that... But they're watching and waiting to see what follows. And if it's an ideological pursuit from one or other wing of the Tory party, then I suspect you'll see the markets reacting again. If it looks like they're trying to put a team of credible people together to keep the show on the road, then the markets will tolerate that. The public, however, I think are in a very different position, which is that they're sick to death of the whole ludicrous show. And like the Labour Party, screaming for a general election. Most people don't you know, normally want a general election, but I think there's a bit of a mood that uh, that would be a popular development at this point. Um, there's no constitutional need for a, a general election if that next leader can pass a budget. If the leadership election is so divisive, even over the next week, that different factions in the party say, well, I won't support this and I won't support that, it's possible to see a finance bill being voted down. In those circumstances, there would be a general election. But I think what most people in the Tory party want to see is a new leader, a bit of a period of dull, technocratic um, government that makes them look vaguely competent again. And if that's the case, they can start thinking in a year's time about uh, what they might offer the country in 2024. And in those circumstances, Labour would start to get some jitters. I suspect the poll leads probably wouldn't be quite as dramatic as they are now. And, you know, as most people in the Labour Party know, Keir Starmer is no Tony Blair. But it's difficult to see, given the turmoil we've had from the Conservative Party for the last six years, that they'll be able to keep the show that comprehensively on the road. If, you know, if the Tory party cannot sort this out now and get something stable, then there could be a general election by Christmas. And if you were a betting man, and, and just to explain to the listeners, you know, you were supposed to be on leave this week. Uh, you clearly felt things are about to change. If you were a betting man, when would you say the next general election will be? Oh, I mean, I'm, on balance, I think it will be, I think it will be not before the spring of 24. Technically, I think they could go all the way to January 25. Um, 
Spring or autumn 24 is more likely. I can't see the Tory party going early if they don't have to. The big statement on October the 31st on what they're going to do on the economy, you know, that's a big moment for the new prime minister. And presumably the current chancellor stays where he is. And if that satisfies the markets that they've got a plan, it will keep the markets happy. But it's unlikely to keep the public or the Conservative Party happy because it will involve cuts that are unedifying and unpalatable to lots of people. And part of the reason for those cuts is because of the last 45 days. Mm. We're, you know, we are in a worse position than we were before Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng tried all this stuff. A lot of the public will never forget that and won't thank the Conservative Party for it. The, the big question we don't know the answer to is whether what has just happened is sort of like Black Wednesday in 1992, a position from which you know, a Conservative government can never recover and is facing obliteration, or whether this one last throw of the dice is able to put them in a position where they can at least limit the damage. And that's the gamble that, you know, the Conservative Party is taking this week. But if they don't get the right leader, it mm. won't it won't matter, really. I mean, what, what do you think on that score? You know, we, we've seen some very emotional interviews from Tory MPs like Charles Walker talking about what's gone wrong with the party. I think it is utterly appalling. So, so you seem quietly... I'm, I'm, I'm livid. And, you know, I really shouldn't say this, but I hope all those people that put Liz Truss in number 10, I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it for the ministerial red box. I hope it was worth it to sit around the cabinet table because the damage they have done to our party is extraordinary. I'm sorry, it's very difficult to convey. You look just furious about this. I am. I am. I've had enough. I've had enough of talentless people um, putting their tick in the right box not because it's in the national interest, but because it's in their own personal interest to achieve ministerial position. And I, and I Many of them now feel it deserves to do badly because it's been so badly managed and people's incentives have been terrible. But is this, you know, over the last few weeks, we've heard people saying this could be an extinction level event for, for the Conservative Party. Is it bound to be in demise from now? Or, you know, even after the Suez crisis, which was probably... The last time we had quite such an international humiliation, uh, they somehow came back and won the next election. After that, what what do you think will happen? Is this the end for the, for the Tory party? I mean, Manfred, I'm much better at telling readers what just happened rather than predicting what might happen. But it feels like something shifted out there. When you sit in focus groups um, and look at the polls, it looks like the public has basically had enough. But, you know, if a week's a long time in politics, 18 months can be an eternity. And, you know, with... Uh, competent leadership, you know, I don't think it has to be an extinction level event, but there is a slight sense, as you know, that Charles Walker interview showed, that there is a bit of a sort of emotional breakdown going on inside the Conservative Party. Some of them are sick to death of it too. I was speaking to someone earlier this week who said, well, the, you know, half the party's given up and thinks, you know, it's obliteration time and there's not much point doing anything else. And the other half are living in cloud cuckoo land and still think their faction can emerge victorious and impose their particular view of the world on both the party and the public. Um, if, if either of those views are accurate, then they're in big, big trouble. Historically, the Tory party has been, you know, everyone says it's, you know, a tenacious body of folk who have a belief in their own self-preservation. There's quite a lot of evidence over the last three or four years that they've lost a bit of that. Is this the moment where they rediscover it or is this, you know, the final moment where they prove to the world that they're incapable of that? I'm afraid only time will tell. And just finally, what happens to Liz Truss now? Is it all over? Does she walk away from politics? Does she come back? 
I don't think she'll walk away because I do think she's got that sort of tenacity and a belief in her own rectitude. Um, she's obviously been through an astonishingly punishing period. She may well want a period out. But as I said earlier, I think there are some people who think if you're putting a team together, stick her in the cabinet and give her a job she likes. Tell her to go and sort all those trade deals that she was very enthusiastic about. That's not impossible. It may be that she wants to go away and lick her wounds, but I'd be very surprised if she's leaving Parliament. You know, anything's possible. Um, there are always international jobs to be found for people who want to step away, but that's not the Liz Truss I know. Tim, thanks so much for that, and um, let's see where we are by Monday. I mean, we could be anywhere. We could be on Mars with a Prime Minister made of cheese. <laughs> You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. We'll be back next week as the leadership campaign plays out. But in the meantime, don't miss Tim's coverage in The Sunday Times this weekend. You can get yourself a digital subscription at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Or why not pick up a paper copy? The producers today were Sam Chantarasak and James Shield, and the executive producer was Kate Ford. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Tim, you're, you're not the only political pundit in your family. Hmm? Yeah, what did you say? Give us a bit of them. Yeah. This trust is a big banana because she did something wrong. <laughs> That's your three-year-old. That's my three-year-old. What is your three three-year-old called? Lily. Lily. I'm being told that Liz Truss. Political analysis. I'm being told that Liz Truss is no longer the prime minister. (laughs) That's her ultimate insult. Daddy, you're a big banana. (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.